those of you who have heard me talk about culture in the past, it's been all about me. What, what I was doing, how we made it better, and the outcomes. But today, I'm going to talk to it in terms of you and hopefully help you understand better what it is, how we go about doing it, who goes about doing it, and then what, what does success look like. But I want to start by asking a few questions. So who can tell me why it's important to create a great culture? Sure. Because it makes people want to come into work, want to do the job. Thank you. We will go. Close. Sure. It's very important to set uh, boundaries to be able to motivate and inspire everybody on the organization to set up into the correction of one strategic vision and align them to hit that down. Sure. And also pretension after deciding and thou shalt have the drives. Great. Anybody else? Sure, right? People who are engaged are productive and more productivity. Thank you. Well, prevent turnover. And turnover. Okay, those are all good answers. But why do we care about those? I love it up. Okay, thanks, Andy. And I'll build on that. Yes, and at the end of the day, it's about performance. Creating a great culture is about performance. If you're not getting better performance, I'm not exactly sure why you're doing it. Because sooner or later, somebody's going to ask you, why are you spending all this time and money, and I can't see the outcomes? So if that's the case, can anybody tell me what's one thing they've done recently to create a great culture where they are? With AR? Where they are. Where they Sorry. Are. <laughs> Sure, Sanjeev. Empowerment of people. And what does that look like? Let them make decisions. Ask their opinion. You know, if they have to go against the grain, you do that. Mm -hmm. But let them achieve what they want to achieve. It's in it, you know, what's in it for me? Make it about them. Anybody else? Great. Maybe probably we keep at the skip levels. Skip levels. Ah, that's a good concrete action. Yep. Yep, that works. Well, every workplace already has a culture. You all have one. The question is, is it intentional? Are you really mindful about it? Or is it just the way it is? Because I've seen both. I think lots of organizations can point to consistent values. They start with the values. In fact, you can probably find the poster in the lobby. But how many organizations have consistent habits, behaviors, and messages, and performance from top to bottom? Anybody here have one of those cultures? Outstanding. Here, I'll turn this over to you. <laughs> Maybe that would be a better idea. So, since you guys have done it, let me ask you this. What is the challenge with creating a great culture? Well, if there isn't a challenge, it's, it's unique. Challenges, because all of us as humans are unique, so that and there would lie. If, you had, if I had to have one answer, it would be the uniqueness of all the people. Great. Great. Well, today, 
where we're going to talk about what it takes to create a high-performance culture, which I would argue, in most cases, that's what it's about. I can, when I was at Ascension Health, probably wasn't about this. It was about caring and faith-based. However, most of us are in situations where if we're going to work on culture, somebody's going to want to know how that's improving results. <clears throat> so what is culture? When you look at that circle and all of the forces on that circle, is that what culture looks like to you? It's a collection of all of these norms, some of which are written out, maybe on uh, principles or values. Others are unwritten, and you just have to learn through experience with your organization. But it's also not just about the behaviors that you're encouraging. It's also the behaviors you're not willing to tolerate. In my own personal experience, that's where I see a lot of this uh, a lot of this breakdown. So what does it take to achieve consistency across all of this all the way through the organization? One way to look at culture, and this is through the lens of Cameron and Quinn's four cultures, and they, they've broken it out in two competing forces, the internal focus and integration versus external focus and differentiation, and uh, flexibility and discretion versus stability and control. And when you combine those into four different things, they're calling them clans, uh, ad hocracies, markets, and higher hierarchy. My guess is we all fit in our organizations in one of these four. Maybe you're not understanding that that's what that culture is. You're thinking of it in a lot of the things you just described to me. Another way to look at it, whoops, Another way to look at it is through values. You can see the list of eight culture types, if you will, here. Uh, the interesting thing here is results in caring at the top, and then way down the list is the last six. And the interesting thing about those top two is they stay consistent across all kinds of organizations, cultures, cultures is redundant, but they're, uh, they're pretty consistent across industries. And then what you see in the bottom six, those can vary depending upon the particular situation. The, the three big places, well actually four, so I started in a GE divestiture. We all know GE was based on the, the uh, celebrity CEO culture, if you will, back in those days. Then I went to Sony. Sony was based on quality. Uh, although I would say the entertainment division did a good job of separating themselves from that. <laughs> Ascension Health was all about caring. Um, and then now at United, it was, it was all about results. So it's, it's pretty consistent. <clears throat> now, what would you all add to that list? Sure, Michael. Our number one thing is unmatched experiences, both for our clients and for the people we work with. So if I have under companion well, I call him. Yeah, he hurt me in my life. He reached that to me. Because it's it's all about we want everybody to be happy at the end of the day, happy on Monday. Whatever the phrase is, we want those unmatched experiences to be felt internally as much as externally. Is that the one thing? When, well that's what we were both thinking of it's top down. I mean it's it's our founding members at Centric created unmatched experiences as the reason why we exist. It's literally our core purpose. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so when I interview, uh, when we talk about what we do, that comes up. And sure, sometimes people are like, that's some marketing speak. As a marketer, I caught that when I was interviewing myself. And then it turned out, it's very real. We all submit stuff. Indianapolis had about 55 unmatched experiences that we put in our, our portal last year to document what we're doing. And I go there sometimes for my own inspiration. Like, what's Cincinnati doing? What's Chicago doing? And there's great ideas and great ways to serve others. And that's, how, that's our normal thing. It works two ways. It's an each other way, I'm not sure. It's a great point. And because of that, you know, we're able to provide unmatched yeah. Great. Anybody else? That's a good one. That's hard to follow up. You can definitely see how that trickles from the top all the way through. And people are thinking about it in their interactions, not with just the clients, but with each other. That's great. Yeah. Any other examples? Okay. I like to think of it this way. <laughs> So the, the, the real question is to me, is your culture helping you perform better or is your culture actually an obstacle to great performance? So let's see from the show of hands, how many people in the room say their culture actually supports great, great performance? Well, that's probably more than I expected. So, how many of you are in a culture where you feel like it is actually in the way of brain performance? Opportunity. All right, so not unusual. I'm actually surprised at how positive those results are. Uh, so that's maybe because we're in Indiana, I'm not sure. My, my experience on the coasts, not so much. All right, so the key metaphor that <coughs> we're gonna talk about here with the with the uh, building of a high-performance culture is the chocolate fountain. In, uh, I don't know, makes me hungry too, but that's because it's, it's all about the top leader down. So I'm sure that many of you are in situations just like I've been throughout my career, which is you're in an organization where either your boss or the CEO isn't all that big on a culture, doesn't really care about it, doesn't see how it translates to results, but you think it does. Is it possible for you to create your own culture inside of the larger organization? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And by the way, from my own experience, nobody's gonna stop you from doing that. And when you start getting really great results because you've invested there, they're gonna ask you how you did it. It's, and, Maybe, best part there, I'm gonna support you. So, before we get into how to do it, let's talk about the big reasons people are <coughs> making mistakes on this and it's not going as well. So there's nine of them <coughs> before we get into what to do. So the first one, senior leadership team invests in a marketing firm that's gonna create a bunch of fanfare and sizzle about what we're gonna do and expect everybody else to do the work. Well, employees are too smart for that. They get cynical. It's another thing that we're gonna invest a bunch of money in and it's gonna flame out and we're gonna move on. <clears throat> if you try again, they're just gonna be even more cynical. This is my favorite one. <clears throat> they go off, the senior leadership team goes off to a exotic location 
and while they're playing golf, and I love his golf pants. <laughs> Not sure where they took this, but <laughs> they have this epiphany of what the culture should be, and they're going to come back and they're going to deliver it to the organization and say, here, do this. That doesn't work either. Or they come back and they say, ah, we got this great idea, but you guys go first. We got things to do. Uh, that, again, creates a single employees. Uh, it, because to be successful in creating a high-performing culture, the leaders have to go first, and they have to look at their own behaviors, and they have to understand what about my behaviors is positive in the culture, and what about my behaviors are in the way, and they've got to start making the changes first. Most senior leaders don't want to be bothered with this kind of stuff because, first of all, they suffer with the level of vulnerability that's required, and they don't want to do the hard work. <clears throat> or another one that's famous, to press the easy button and buy somebody's book and implement their culture. This, again, is... is uh, I've learned a lot about some other things lately. Just because it worked for Toyota does not mean it's going to work for you. It's got to be coming from inside your organization and what's important to you. You could say that United, we did a version of this, but probably a little more informed. It wasn't a single company, but we did try to import that. I think this one's even worse. It's much like, it's still pressing the easy button, but you're creating chaos because you're trying to pick one from here and one from here and one from here and implement it and try to get the results. Uh, I think it's just another way to avoid the hard work of, of creating a culture. I want to stop on this one for a minute because I think we recognize this one in this room a lot. So I'd like to ask you, why do you think this is a problem? Sure. Um, it's, it's like a band-aid that doesn't really address the root cause. Yeah. Yeah. And why has it become so popular? Go ahead. Well, I would say to say it in our work, uh, if you use it too often and you're not a senior leader, then you're viewed as not actually working. So they put it out there, but we can't, we can't touch it very often. That's the bait switch, huh? It's also easy. You just write a check. You buy some stuff. That way, then everybody can go back to what they were doing. So it's not really real. It's power. Yeah. What about this is actually leading to good performance? I mean, everybody needs a break. That's, that's a reality, and maybe these are, are good breaks, but mistaking it for your culture, I think, is really the point here. The next one is turning a, a virtue, virtue into a weakness. And uh, to me, this is just overusing something that you're already known to be good at. Um, an example for me was I had a boss ask me once, have we taken Agile too far? <laughs> and I didn't just say no, I said hell no. But if you want to hear the more colorful version of that story, just buy me a beer. I'm <laughs> happy to share it with you. Oops. This is another big one. This is where the leaders and the, and the rest of the organization are on a different page about culture. There's, the leaders are sitting over here thinking, we got this culture thing knocked, and by the way, it's about them. 
it's not really about me. Well, this can bring the entire culture down. We saw the same thing, um, maybe the challenge with the United with 350,000 employees and growing, maybe this gap is always gonna exist because you can't touch everybody all the time, but you start seeing evidence of leaders getting promoted that you know aren't operating on the cultural principles and values. Uh, John and I did culture workshops all, all the time. We were certified culture facilitators there. This was one of the main questions people asked. Well, what if, do we do if leader X is not operating within the culture? So this is a huge one, and if you're not rigorous about it, uh, it can bring the whole thing down. Now, maybe the other reason that the United is the CEO that launched this whole journey was two CEOs ago. Then I think the next two see it differently. Uh, I thought about this even when Sanjeev was talking about 50% of the time we do things and we don't get them done on time and on budget. Is that about performance or is that about we just haven't figured out these things are hard and take a long time and give realistic expectations? The culture is another one. Our United example here is the United called it a 30-year journey. So there is no easy button to culture. It, it's hard work and takes a long time and you have to stay committed to it. So if you think it's a three-month effort, well, I hope your organization is five people. <clears throat> so if that's what not, what's not to you, how do we do this? Well, fortunately, there is, a, there is a way to go about this that will work. But the very first thing you've got to deal with is why. And it can't be a superficial why. This has, you've got to go deep with this one and you, and you, until you get to the root. And until somebody says, well, it's about our organization performing better and being here five years from now instead of going away, you haven't gotten to the, to the real why. It's not just to put a marketing brochure in front of your organization. This is real and it has the ability to sustain your organization forever. <clears throat> Here's another one that's important. Lots of people uh, think culture is a fuzzy term. They, they're like, this feels too touchy-feely to me, I don't get it. You need to get very specific when you're talking about what, you're, what you want from your culture, and it needs to talk about the behaviors that you're expecting throughout. And uh, you define those behaviors and habits all the way down, <clears throat> and then you need to probably most importantly, how are you gonna measure it? How are you gonna know? Another thing that'll bring the culture down is you're spending, because this takes a lot of time and effort. If you can't prove that it is impacting performance in a positive way, it's gonna disappear. I think your, your guys' example of the great experience, that's gonna sustain an organization over people who don't care about that stuff for a long time. So getting specific, this isn't about uh, the ping pong table we saw earlier. This is about, you could say, well, if we have that, we're gonna attract and retain great talent, and if we attract and retain great talent, we're gonna be able to do the things our competitors can't do, which means we're performing better and we're gonna be here 10 years from now and the others might not. That's why we're doing this. Uh, really important, the top leaders have to go first. They are the ones that set the tone, not only 
are they having to be honest about their own behaviors, what's, what's helping, what's hurting, but they've got to start creating new behaviors and other people have to be able to see what they're doing because that's, that's what's gonna set the tone. And when you take a look at all this work that your top leader has to do first, what challenges do you see? The busy people. Busy people. It's time. Takes time. Takes time. So you can imagine the level of commitment your top leader has to have to culture if they're going to do this. And if they're not going to do this, you kind of know where this is going. So how do they model? <clears throat> they're modeling this thing in terms of their attitudes and their behaviors and so on, but they're also doing it in terms of what they're not tolerating. So the leadership shadow concept to me is huge. What leadership shadow are you casting? Not only the behaviors that you want to be replicated throughout the organization, but what behaviors are you not tolerating? I love the phrase, what you permit, you promote. So if you're looking at a behavior that you don't think fits in the culture, if you wouldn't promote that behavior, why are you permitting it? Makes for some tough calls once in a while. Uh, but what strikes you about these questions? A lot about you. A lot about you. Yeah. I'm not talking about, I want you to do this, it's coming back at you. I'm I've, always, I've always thought of culture is that you can't change the culture, you can only change yourself and influence the culture. Driving, you lead it, but you can't force the change. You change yourself. That's the only real change you can make. Yeah, that's a good point, Mike. Starts with you. All right, when you look at this one, your, your cultural values need to be supported by the, your, your systems and structures in the organization. And uh, I like this one because I think that people don't necessarily think of this when they're talking about rolling out the culture. It's the whole support system that, that keeps it going. You see things like recruiting. Why would you recruit and hire somebody that you know doesn't fit in your culture? You started with a problem, but you can eliminate that by just not hiring them in the first place. Any insights that you have on this slide? What, what strikes you about this? I think it's good. Um, I would probably add something that's really key to what we do, and that is, the uh, show's not already up there, so the whole dies, I know they're seeing it, uh, but consistent um, and regular feedback and really promotes much of, much of Brian. Yeah, I, I, I would like to replace this line with that. I think, yes, you bake it into performance management, but to your point, Tony, that's the stuff that happens every day. Every day. Yeah, right. I wish we'd go there in general. Nobody likes it. We keep, we're addicted to doing it. Then you get to the point of communicating. Uh, it, the, the leader has to start with their own. When, when 
when the leader is starting to demonstrate behaviors that people are seeing different, like why why is Bob acting different? Let's understand what the heck he is. Once that leader is uh, sure that they've got the behaviors that they want to model, now it's time for it to start going to their direct reports. And you can do that in a combination of one-on-one -on -one meetings where a little bit like what Tony's talking about, it's not just feedback, it's also setting expectations specifically. These are the behaviors I expect from you, and here's the outcomes I think we'll get from that. And then obviously when you get into a team setting, it gives you the opportunity to spread the message more consistently. Um, one of the things that, that I got from the chocolate fountain is that leader, that top leader, isn't just handing off to the direct reports and going, I'm out. That top leader is working all the way down the organization to ensure that the consistent behaviors and habits and values that they care about are, are what's in place. Anybody here having conversations like this in their organization? What do they look like? What, what does the conversation look like? So our, our conversations are, um, we have, we have what we call feedback managers, if you will, and, and coaches. Okay. That facilitate, you know, conversations on, about performance, about culture, about why things are working, why things aren't. Uh, we look at what we might yeah, that we want to do, which is we that week. We're, we're really good at, you know, trying to plug people with two problems without yeah. really not fit. And you know, so we have uh, a myriad of uh, conversations about that uh, to, with our employees. And, and that's how we make that culture ideal work for us. So you, you talked about a feedback manager or coach, is, this is different than their leaders? Yeah, but we, we have... That's uh, your type of meeting. Yeah, <laughs> we, have, we have pretty much, a, I guess it's called flat organization. Mm. So, you know, depending on the, on the project, a role, and you know, the situation that's going on, you know, we, we do have some level of hierarchy there, mm. but um, they don't reason. Really have a kind of a flag organization, so the idea yeah, that makes is, sense. Well, we're trying to then enhance everyone on them. They have the same thing. Yeah, I had thought about it from a flat organization perspective. That if you're missing a lot of the hierarchy that would be yeah. pushing this down, so you're kind of on and out. And it's all about that that everyday feeling. <clears throat> so yeah, there are daily days. You back that you think we. Are in position where assigns you have some people to to work with regularly, mm -hmm. but the everyday feedback aspect is what's really huge because our, our company is so large and people and um, projects all over the place, and so you know, we we have to talk, we have to know what's going on, and it's, and it's better to know what's going you know good now or bad now than mm -hmm. waiting six months down some. You know, a mid-year review or end-year review, and then you find out, you know, you haven't just do it very well. Yeah. So everyday feedback is just real important, and, and that's pretty much the construct of our feedback, feedback management. Yeah, I think this has anything to do with you guys just getting the best place to work. 
<laughs> yeah, I think there might be a connection. Thank you. Anybody else? This uh, harkens back to Lou Russell, the lady who teaches our IT leadership boot camp. Bad news early as good news. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can do something about it when it's early. And yeah. So once you've done, once the top leader's gone to their direct reports, the direct reports are going to their level, and it, this just keeps going uh, until it reaches all the way to the front line where everybody understands very, very clearly that within this culture, these are the specific habits, behaviors, the messages we send, how we do stuff, uh, and so on. So this is the overview of what we just went through. This, this is the plan or the roadmap of how one goes from, gee, it would be great to have a new culture that leaves some performance. It, there's no easy button. The journey to a great culture is not for the faint of heart. It's for people who are willing to commit to a long, arduous journey. And the reason I would call it arduous is you're reinforcing so often what these behaviors are and what the stuff is that you're not going to tolerate. And you know how long behavior change takes. It doesn't happen overnight. And if you go all the way back to that first slide of all of the norms we were talking about, you can't change behaviors across all of those norms all at once. It's going to take time, and you need to be, you need to be mindful about it. So I can't emphasize this one enough. We saw this at United. I think we got into some difficulties with the culture program because you couldn't point to this performance went from here to here, and the culture is why. And when somebody says, why is that? Then you could go down through a list of these are the, these are the new behaviors and how we got there. Um, your culture program will fall apart if you can't very specifically talk about what that work is doing and how performance is improving. So figure out what it is, um, how often you're going to do it, which, what are the measures of behaviors, what are the measures of habits, how often are you going to figure that out, and, you, and, and then when you figure it out, what are you going to do with it? I think publicizing it, um, you can't celebrate it enough because you, you got to get some momentum going and, and keep it going. All right, so I hope it's clear-ish what this culture journey is about, who's doing it, how we're doing it, why we're doing it, and what it takes to make it happen. And, most, and like I said, most importantly, how are you going to measure it? Now, I didn't give you the exact measures because they're important to you. The big lesson I learned through reflecting on this from your perspective rather than mine is just because what I did at United really worked for my team, it's not going to work for yours. So we could figure that out together. Uh, so if creating a high-performance culture is interesting to you, I'd love to talk to you more about it and dig deeper into some of this stuff. Before I shift gears, any questions on creating a high-performing culture? Yeah. Are you able to share any of the performance indicators that you use for your team? Yeah, I can make it easy. So um, I actually believed 
agile was my culture in IT. Now, I didn't divorce it from United's values and principles. They were integrated. But those, those values and principles didn't drive habits and behaviors and consistency of performance all the way through the organization. But if you take Agile seriously, it will. And another way to look at it is investing in an operating model. So the metrics became, what's my velocity looks like? What's my you know, perfect implementation rates look like? What's my whip look like? What does the, the prioritization look like? How are we, those things now become the measurement of your culture because Agile was the culture. But Agile based on five core values and 25 principles that were part of the broader culture. And we had, when other people were experiencing 25% turnover, we had 2%. Who else? Yeah, go. So taking a, a different lens there, with the KPI, what about like in KRI or a key risk indicator? What were some things you saw as indicators that we're heading in the raw direction? I don't think there were any indicators per se, unless you want to talk about Agile. I'm, I'm thinking the broader culture. So which yeah. level do you want to? Go by broader culture. So you see the KPIs are what we're doing performance wise, but if we're not in the green, how we know what I had to read. And then, and well. Well, in some ways, I think we were hitting the red. Mm -hmm. uh, when, when we go back to the slide that was talking about leadership looking at culture differently than everybody else, yep. I think that's a red indicator. Uh, performance, uh, the performance overall of the United is hard to argue with. Uh, how we get there different story. Uh, it's a lot of brute force. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Coding my big red would be a quiet room. Yep. If, if my people aren't talking to each other, interacting, asking questions. Because yeah. I always think there's always a focus on the KPIs and how we know agree, but sometimes there's also left like, we're not watching the bad gate, we're not watching things called the bottom, and what are our key risk indicators? So. Take, take that one down a little bit. So, okay, I, I would agree the quiet room means we're not working as well together. Or we don't understand. Yeah, there's, but that's my culture. I know from what mine would be, you know, I can't really speak to an agile one. I wouldn't say that I'm fast. So I, it would be a different red flag, but for mine group, it would be everybody's quiet. Go as you see a lot of times, like it's important to find, to your point, KBI is different having the KRIs, but as you focus on KPIs, know your KRIs as well, so you kind of have some boundaries to say where, you know, maybe you're not always crushed it, but you're not up in the red, but you know, get some greens and there's a game of color. I mean, when we, when we started seeing negative uh, performance indicators on software development delivery, yep. we could always trace them back to people problems. And the people problems were generally related to habits and behaviors and collaboration that you're not doing what we said you we were going to do. So you could take, I'm quiet, or you can take, what, why is my defect rate going up? Or why is my velocity going down? Or why is my whip going up? Thank you. Or you start that one on 
number eight, I think the full end was like. Um, someone's gone rogue and no one reined him in. You let yeah. the, the down performer not comply or adhere to the, oh, that's here, you're gone, can't yeah, fix that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that you made me think so. To me, a big red indicator is tolerating behavior you shouldn't tolerate. Yeah, I was just yeah. thinking about yeah. that actually, yeah. to that specific yeah. example she's talking about, where if you allow bad behavior to percolate, it becomes an accepted norm and you ought to kill it right there. Like people talking about problems, not bringing up solutions, or it's the other people's problem, not mine. No. Yeah. Culture, the C of culture is the same as C as collaboration. Yeah. We have yeah. to work together. Yeah. And you want people to add to that culture? Absolutely. But not in a way that's going to be toxic. So a particular subject that was of great interest to me was uh, usually when you see bad behavior being tolerated, it's because that person gets results, right? So they're tolerating them because of that. My gut told me there's damage being done, but I, I couldn't find a way to measure it. So I kept asking people every time I was in a situation to talk about that, do you have any examples of how to measure that? So I did come across a book that explained it and said, when you have a person who's behaving outside the culture, nobody's operating on their own anymore, right? We're all collaborating on teams. But that person with that behavior outside the culture is stealing 50% of the capacity of the people around them, which is why the addition by subtraction Thing works. You take that, let's say it's a team of 10. You take that one person out, you just got four and a half FTEs of capacity back that was getting stolen. So it, it def definitely matters. And I've seen it myself. I've, I've witnessed that myself. It was the first time it happened, I was blown away. Anything else? Okay. Let's shift gears. Um, if you're serious about your career, I want to talk to you about it. I think that you wouldn't be here if you weren't. So my, many of you have asked me today, are you retired? Eh, not really. Um, my purpose and my passion is to, is to develop the next generation of senior IT leaders, especially in Indiana. So I have created something exclusively for those of you who want to get there. It's a, uh, let's take a look. <laughs> Let, maybe let's not. Did you kid it? Okay, so I'm calling it the Emerging Technology Leaders Inner Circle. It's meant to be a small peer group of 8 to 12 top performing leaders that are looking to advance their career, take on more, um, or whatever that might be. And the way this is built, as I'm stealing shamelessly from the idea of things like Vistage and Mastermind, to meet for a full day once a month, at year, a year at a time. And in the mornings, these I call these high-performing leadership topics, and I would imagine that as you look through those topics, every one of them sounds like something that we need. And even if I thought about some people thinking, well, I don't need a coach. Well, maybe you do. Tyra Woods still has a coach. <laughs> uh, anyway, and these 
high-performing leadership topics in the morning, it's not the typical training. It's a multi-dimensional approach to it, its facilitation, its training, its me coaching, its peer coaching. It's, and you're going to leave every session with what's the one thing I'm going to do this month to put that leadership practice into play. And you're going to come back the following month, and the first thing we're going to do when we open in the morning is share how it went. And then when we come back in the afternoon, it will be a real problem that one of the members brings to the table, and we're going to, I'm going to facilitate the group through group problem solving, and hopefully you're going to walk away with at least an approach, if not a solution. And you'll get a 30 to 60 minute individual one-on-one -on -one coaching session from me in between every one of those meetings. So if this sounds interesting to you, uh, please come see me. I'll stick around after the meeting. And if not, schedule time and we'll go into it later. Thank you.